caused a lot of unrest, as you may have heard from what's happening in various parts of the world, the Ukraine, and then um, in Israel, and Gaza. So I thought tonight that I would talk about lessons from Gaza, lessons from scripture and history. What does the Bible say about Gaza? And it actually says there's quite a few texts about Gaza in the Bible. And we'll look at some of them tonight. And then we'll pray for the people in Israel and the people in Gaza. So especially if you're like, you know, I would say, I don't know, the young people, a lot of children in Gaza, most of them are children that live there, many young people, and many of them are losing their lives, they say about 12 an hour. So, hmm. I don't know how many people we have here tonight or how many people watching, but um, many people are losing their lives. And they're innocent people. They're not people that are wanting to be in conflict, but they're caught in the middle. So how many think that's something we could pray for tonight? And... So let's pray here and then we'll we'll study. Father in heaven, thank you today for the opportunity we have to study. Send your Holy Spirit here that we might speak a word in season. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, lessons from Scripture and history from Gaza. Um, There's many passages, both in the Old Testament, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Genesis, Amos, that talk about Gaza specifically. And then others allude to it through the uh, nation of the Philistines. And Gaza was one of the cities of the Philistines. And there's a psalm, Psalm 83, that touches on, on Gaza and the Philistines and the attacks on God's people in the time of Asaph, who wrote the psalm, and there was Asaph and there was David, and there were three basic principal authors of the psalms, and this is Asaph. And here he is talking about um, the attacks on God's people. Read it with me. Do not... Read it with me. Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace. And do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult. And those who hate you have lifted up their head. So, things are happening and the psalmist says, we need help. We're surrounded by enemies. And these enemies are making a tumult. Literally, they're like roaring. They're surrounded by like a roaring lion. I was watching um, 
on the internet a live stream from Israel and Gaza this afternoon and then the other day and there were multiple rockets being fired from Gaza towards Israel. They said maybe more than 1,600, 2,000 rockets. And any one of these rockets, if it hit, you can lose a lot of life. And um, of course there are bombs going the other way now and a lot of life lost there. But um, a tumult is being made. <laughs> and there's rubble, and there's wreckage, and God's people are crying out here through the psalmist. We're, we're in trouble. Not only are they making a tumult, they hate you, and they're proud. They've lifted up their head against you and against your people, and they're proud. Really, the attack is on you, says the psalmist. It's not on me. It's not on us. It's really on you. <laughs> and by the way, I might say that as we give our lives to the Lord, the devil will attack us. The enemies will surround us. How many of you found that to be true? But if you can remember, the attack is not on you, but on the Lord. Does that help your mental health? Because you realize that um, you don't personalize it. Well, let's keep going on. Um, do not keep silent. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. So now he's drilling down. What, what happened? Why are all these tumults and attacks happening? Because some time ago they started planning to attack. And they were scheming and they were counseling together and they've been planning to attack God's people and they put together all of these plans and they're very sophisticated plans. And they're scheming. And they are consulting against the sheltered ones, the covered ones, God's treasure. This is the picture being given, his special, peculiar people. The apple of his eye. Verse 4. They have said, come us, come, let us cut them off from being a nation. that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. This is exactly the objective, by the way, in today's conflict of many of the nations surrounding Israel. And can you see why many people in Israel are actually quoting this psalm today? Adam Clark let us exterminate the whole race that there may be not a record of them on the face of the earth. This would be the state of objective of a number of people surrounding modern Israel, but this certainly was the case back in ancient Israel, which some this is written. Genocidal plans. The issue is not getting more land in this particular case. It's not getting more territory. It's exterminating an entire race of people. And why does God protect them? Why does God protect? 
Israel. Did you ever hear a sermon about Israel? And why is it that God protects Israel? They have protected his word. His history of dealing with people is wrapped up in their history. It's wrapped up in the covenants. Did you ever hear a message about this? About the covenants, about the people of God? And, and really, archaeology is a form of defense. Museums, a form of defense. Have you ever thought about it that way? And many of these museums that actually defend your faith as a Christian are in Israel. Here's uh, the famous Israeli museum, and you can see that kind of dome-shaped thing there. That's a water-cooled room. It has water on it all the time. And inside it, it's a temperature-monitored environment that has the Isaiah scroll in it, one of the Dead Sea Scrolls and a number of the other Dead Sea Scrolls. These people are keeping the oracles of God. <laughs> they are keeping records of the covenants. And when you go there into the museum, you can see the actual scroll of Isaiah. And then you can see all kinds of other archaeology. Every single time one of these archaeological discoveries is made, within hours, the archaeologist who discovered it is in the president's office of Israel because it gives more evidence that there was a Bible, which some people say there was not, and what it said was true and is true, and that there are evidences for things like King David. <laughs> and when you go to Israel, you will see all of these evidences. <clears throat> Every single time I've been there, it's been interesting to see. And then even new evidences. And of course, just as the Jews are the keepers of the oracles and the covenants, so Seventh-day Adventists have been given that task to live out the law of God, to be keepers of the law, not only in archaeological museums, but in their hearts and minds. And the kingdom of Judah expanded earlier than thought. What did they find? They excavated different things. And who was excavating? Mike Hosel, Southern Adventist University. And he's been an archaeologist there many, many times on the front end. And Seventh-day Adventists have been on the front end of archaeological discoveries. And... This is why this psalm, Psalm 83, is so interesting because it's saying all of these enemies surround and why is it that God has chosen to protect? Because, not because Israel's perfect, certainly not, but as a people, they protected the oracles of God. Psalm 83, 5. For they have consulted together with one consent. They have formed a confederacy against you. So now there's this idea of a confederated movement that was surrounding Israel, made up of multiple nations, a confederacy. What's the desire? To destroy God, to destroy the evidence for his activity in time and history. 
would like nothing more than to obliterate every evidence. Now, I was in Egypt not so long ago, and they, uh, the Egyptians don't like the story of the Exodus. They tell you it never happened. They tell you there never was such a thing. And they changed all the chronologies in the museums to make it look like that the Bible is a myth. But if you know what you're looking for, like our tour guide did, you can see evidences of it all over. And yet there is this idea, a consulting together to get rid of the evidence for God. Does the devil try and do that in your own life? Does he try and erase the evidence that God loves you? Does he try and erase the evidence that God can forgive you? Does he try and erase the idea that God can get you out of a bad problem? Does he try and get within your head and attack you from within? And does he try to attack you from without? Now let's look at this this confederacy. Edom, that's the descendants of Esau. Remember Esau and Jacob? How they fought. And the Ishmaelites, that's the descendants of Ishmael. Isaac and Ishmael. Moab, that's the descendants of Lot. And the Hagarites, some believe that's another relative of Hagar. Hagar was the mother of who? Ishmael. Gebel, Ammon, and Amalek. Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre. But look at that Philistia. Philistia is actually where Gaza is. It's one of the cities of Philistia. And Tyre and Assyria. They have helped the children of Lot. Then it says Selah. What does that mean? Or Selah. means kick it up a notch. Think about it. Drill down. So maybe we should stop a little bit. We have a little bit, but let's look at a map and look and see what we can see. Here's where all those places were in ancient times. Amalek, where is that? That's modern-day Egypt. Philistia, that's where Gaza is. And there are five cities that go right above Gaza, and these were the principal cities of the Philistines where you get the word Palestine. Then you have Ammon, which would be where modern-day Jordan is, and Edom, and Moab, and then the Hagarites, and Gebel, and you can see Assyria, where Iran and Iraq are. Now let me ask you a question. Are any of these countries, even today, anti-Israel? And do they surround Israel? And are they in confederacy? And why was it that our president was over there? Trying to get them not to use their confederacy to do what? To attack Israel. So how many can see why people are looking at Psalm 83? Fairly interesting psalm. Now, what are the reasons that God should act. We read these verses, but just to summarize. Number one, they're your enemies. Number two, they're making a tumult. Number three, they hate you. I need to edit that. (laughs) So, 
They hate you. Number four, they are proud. Number five, they have planned and schemed to kill your people. Number six, they really want to get rid of the thought of you even. So God, you need to act (laughs) before they do a sin. And by the way, (laughs) I didn't mention this, but all of those confederacies are in some way, many of them, related to Israel. They're kind of like half-breeds. They are, some of them even included in the promises of God. Sometimes the people we have to hear the most, fear the most, are not people that are totally unrelated to us, but those that are related to us. Sometimes the attacks that are most dangerous are the ones that come from within, not from without. Sometimes the things we struggle with the most are the attacks the devil uses from within our own minds, from within our own faith community, with, from, from within our own, what you might say, culture. How many think that's true? So those are the reasons to act, and are there any reasons for hope in the psalm? Let's look. Verse 9 through 12, reasons for hope. Number one, Deal with them as with Midian. So in other words, how do we remember the land of Midian? The story of Midian. The story of Gideon in Judges chapter 7. Gideon was a coward. He was hiding in his dad's vineyard or vine press and he was trying to hide away and and an angel appears to him and says, you're a great mighty man of valor. He was not a mighty man of valor. He was hiding. But God came and he said, in this situation, I'm calling those things which are not as though they are. And I'm going to resurrect faith within your heart and soul. That we need that message sometimes. That we sometimes hide and isolate and attack ourselves. And do we need a voice that says, no, you're a mighty man of valor. Wow. And that's what it's saying here. Remember that. Remember Sisera. I remember the battle of Sisera. How did that go down? All the forces were surrounding Israel, and then what happens? God uses Deborah. Well, Deborah was used to spur on the leadership Barak, or Barak, who our former president was named after. Barak. Um... And Barak was what? He was saying, ah, I don't want to go unless you go with me. And what did she say? No, go, go down there. Go. She didn't take over the leadership from Barak. She said, be a leader. How many think that's kind of an instructive point? Yeah. And by the way, do you know how the battle went down? Remember, Cicero himself was trying to escape, and he went into a tent, And there was this lady, and what did she do? Gave him a glass of milk. Why did she give him a glass of milk? For those of you taking health evangelism or the MA in health and wellness, anybody here taking that that would know how to answer this question? The masters of health and wellness. Okay, maybe the bachelor's degree folks. 
All right, the general public. Because milk is high in fat. When you drink it, what happens? You get sleepy, and that's what happened. He went to sleep. Jabin, I think his name was. He went to sleep, and the woman did what? Took a spike and put it through his head when he was asleep. And that's how they won the battle. Because she understood high-fat diets. <laughs> okay. How many think nutrition education might be helpful in the great controversy? Okay, so deal with them as you did with medium or, uh, not medium, Midian, or as with Sisera, or as with Jabin. Oh, that's the same thing at the book, Brook Kishon. You, you can see the Brook Kishon. And it's right there, I think, looking down from Megiddo, if I recall. <laughs> I might be wrong on that, but there's this brook and everyone was gathered together there. They were all gathered against them. And who perished at Endor, this is in the area of Gath, another Philistine city, where there was a witch. They will become as refuse on the earth, literally dung. <laughs> they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't overcome, even with the satanic spells of witches against them. Do people get attacked by demons today? Is there a lot of devil worship today? We even prayed for someone demon-possessed last week who came to this campus because they said, nobody where I live knows how to pray. I need help. And they got on a plane and came up here. And they were yelling and they were screaming and they were crying out. And as we prayed for them, they became calm. And this is what he's saying. The psalmist is saying, Remember Midian, remember Sisera, remember Endor, remember Oreb and Zeb. Again, stories of Gideon. All the princes of Zeba and Zalmunna. So in other words, it's almost like starting going from A to Z, <laughs> ending with Zeba and Zalmunna. And I'm glad I didn't know those names when I was having kids, because I would have been tempted. Zalmunna Macintosh. Zeba. Good morning, Zeba. Oh. Should have been reading my Bible back then. These again, but stories of deliverance. And these give us reasons for hope. How many of you are thankful for his story? History. Why? Because it shows that he is real. Israel. No, he is real. They said, let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for a possession. All these confederacies were saying, exterminate those people and we'll take their lands. How many can see why many people are reading Psalm 83 these days? It's one of the most downloaded psalms today and yesterday. That's why I thought I'd go through it. Reasons for hope, because God has acted in the past, because he can save by many or by few. Gideon started out with how many people? 30,000, and it went down, 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 down. And it was just a few people. Why does God save by few and glory in it? Because he wants us to know, we didn't do it. He did it. He did it. Because the God of Israel is real. 
He is real. <laughs> Israel. <laughs> Gaza shall be forsaken. Ascalon shall be desolate. They shall drive out Ashdod, Ashdod at noonday. These were all the cities of the Philistines. And Ekron shall be uprooted. The enemies of Israel would not stand, was the point. And the enemies against the Israel of God, the Christian, who is a completion of the Jew, not a replacement, but a continuation of the belief in the law and the covenants, will also be protected. Can you say amen? <laughs> what is the desired result? Look at this. Oh my God, make them like the whirling dust, like the chaff before the wind. What does that mean? Make their thoughts circular. <laughs> make them spin. <laughs> they're not going down the road. Their car, their car is just going around and around. They're, they're circling the drain of demise. Turn them in circles. Show them for what they are, worthless. As fire burns the woods, as the flame sets the mountains on fire, so pursue them with your tempest. Look, the most impressive deliverances of God are not by military might and power. It's when God uses thunder, lightning, rain, prayer, praise. Remember in Chronicles? The enemies are surrounding us. What do we do? Call out the choir. Let's sing the Messiah. <laughs> and they all started to retreat. So the war of worship, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds and casting down of imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against us knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity. That's warfare language. But it's saying using the spirit, not the flesh. Wow. Frighten them with your storm. Show them the power of your weapons, the power of nature. I remember the story of Dunkirk. I remember the story of Dunkirk where the Nazis were ready to obliterate the entire army of the United Kingdom of England. And then, <laughs> amazing thing happened. A storm came in. It was a weird storm. And it came after a day of prayer where King George asked all of England to pray. And then a cloud cover came over. And the troops amassed at Dunkirk, but there's no warship that could come and pick them up because it was too shallow. But that cloud cover came over, but there was no wind. And so all the little boats and all the boats from England, they said, go pick up our troops. And they got in their little rowboats, and they got in their little dinghies, and they got in all their different boats that were very could go in shallow water, and they picked up all those troops. And they saw that it was God who had delivered with his wind, or lack of wind in this case. Spanish Armada, years before, coming to obliterate Elizabeth and her troops. And she came out with her red hair and gave a speech that you should read sometime. 
and then gave that speech and said, I may be a woman, but in my heart is the heart of a king. <laughs> and then what happened? The wind came and blew that armada away and they all sank. These are signal acts of God where he acts for his people and protects his word and people who accept his word. Many stories from the Waldensian times. Many stories. I mean, I, I was thinking about uh, William Tyndall, the translator. He was escaping. They were after him and he had to leave this house and he had to escape and he couldn't take the manuscripts with him. He put them in a stove and he put them in the stove and he escaped out the back. And they were looking for him and they were looking for the manuscripts. And I can't remember if it was he or the Bible that he had hidden. I think it might have been himself as well. But he went way back into the stove and they were looking for him. And when he went there, he goes, I'm, I'm dead. Because they're looking all over. And it's just a matter of time they get to the stove where he was hiding. And so he was in the stove. That's it. He was there. It's been a while since I heard the story. So he's in the stove and he sees a spider. A spider comes in <laughs> and puts a web over the front of the stove and he's in the back. Can you say amen? <laughs> so the guy opens the thing and he sees the spider's web. He's not in here. That's God. God is even in control of the spiders. He used an arachnoid process in this particular case. Can you say amen? amen? So this is the idea that God can deliver when even surrounded by a confederacy. And like I said, he can use a choir. It happened after this to the people of Moab and the people of Ammon and others beside them. And the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Again, same kind of people. Remember Moab, Ammon, the Philistines. And some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, a great multitude is against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. So there's some more, even more of the people that were in this confederacy. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to do what? Fear the Lord and give him glory, right? Seek the Lord and proclaim to fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to do what? Seek the Lord. How many think this is a strategy? Is that why we're here in midweek service, listening to a message? Come seeking the Lord. What then is the desired result? Look at this. And I think this is beautiful. Fill their faces with shame. Who? All those confederacy, including those in Gaza, including those in Ashdod, including those in Ekron, this is a picture of God's people back in the Old Testament. It says, fill them with shame that they might do what? Seek your name, O Lord. Just like Jehoshaphat sought God's face. The whole idea was leading people to seek God's face. How many would like that to happen for everybody in Jerusalem, everybody in Israel, everybody in Gaza, and everybody in Weimar? That they seek the face of God. Seek his name. The key. Fill them with shame. But for what purpose? That they might seek God. Which reminds me of a text. Let me see if I can find it. In Psalm 119. Psalm 
119. Let's see if I can find this text. Um, Psalm 119, um, verse 67. Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept your word. How many of you have ever been afflicted and things are not working out with your way of doing things? And then suddenly you come back and say, maybe I'll seek God's word. Right? And then we find there, we find his grace and his mercy, right? Look at verse um, 71, Psalm 119, 71. It was good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. <laughs> and this is the whole idea. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name. God is not against people in Gaza. He loves people in Gaza. He loves people in Ashdod. He loves people in every Philistine town. He loves people in Israel. He loves people wherever they live. And he wants to turn them to his name. That's the story. That they may be led to turn to God, to repent, to change their mind. And this is what God did also with his people, like I just read in Psalm 119. Sometimes he lets us see what life is like without him. And sometimes when we refuse to be comforted and refuse to accept his mercy, we begin to see what it's like. We even despair life itself. And then we realize how precious it is what he's promised to do, to give us his forgiveness, to give us his mercy, to protect us. Have you ever been to a far country and realized, it's not really good there, I need to get back to God. Bring them to the end of their rope so they can come to the end of themselves and the beginning of you. That's the idea. And this is the beautiful story. Uh, one of the stories, I looked at all the texts of Gaza in the Bible and this was one of my favorites. <laughs> it's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember, Philip was running or was going down. He was led of the Spirit to go down the road to Gaza. He was going from Jerusalem to Gaza. Can you see it? The desert road there, right to the left. And as he was going down that road, he met who? An Ethiopian eunuch. And the eunuch had bought a scroll in Jerusalem. And he was reading that scroll, but he didn't understand it. And the scroll was the Isaiah scroll, the very one that they had protected, one of the oracles of God. And it's the scroll that tells all about the Messiah. And he's a eunuch. What do you think he read to him since he was a eunuch? I don't know. I'm thinking maybe Isaiah 56. Look at it with me. <laughs> Isaiah 56. Um, verse 3. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, speaks, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. The Philistines are not separated from the people of Jerusalem, utterly. Nor let the eunuch say, I am a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them, I will give in my house, within my walls, 
a place and a name better than sons and daughters. Well, verse 6, and the sons of the foreigner, that would be all the Philistines, that would be everybody, who joined themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name, the name of the Lord. Seek the name of the Lord. See that? The name of the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defying the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and I'll make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices be accepted on my altar and my house shall be called a house of prayer just for the Jews. No, for all nations. How many think that's a beautiful picture? And it's alluded to right here in Psalm 83. And that's the message we're supposed to have today. God doesn't hate people in Gaza. He hates anyone that sheds innocent blood. Anybody in Gaza that's shedding innocent blood, he hates that. And he hates anyone in Jerusalem or America or anywhere else that's shedding innocent blood. Even if you're eating meat and eating blood, you're not supposed to eat it. It says in Genesis 9, you're shedding innocent blood of animals. He doesn't even like that. Did you know that? You know that because you're taking the wellness, health and wellness masters here. You study these kind of things. Right? So, whoa! Now this guy gets so, so excited. He's a guy from where? Gaza. He gets so excited that what happens? He says, man, I'd like to be baptized. And he gets baptized. Can you say amen? amen. <laughs> That's all right there in Psalm 83. Now I've got to say, in all the things I read about Psalm 83 today, nobody brought that out, what I'm bringing out. But I still think it's an important part of the message because the ultimate Savior for us all is the Messiah. The undesired result, verse 17, let them be confounded and dismayed forever, let them be put to shame and death and perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. But if we don't believe, have faith, which by the way he gives us the gift of faith, we don't even have faith ourselves. It's a fruit of the Spirit. If we don't allow that faith to spring up in our lives, what can he do? I mean, does he want to help you? Does he want to help everybody? But sometimes we reject him. He doesn't want that. God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance, all change their mind. Unfortunately, some will not turn. They will not repent. They're talked about in Revelation 16. It says it again and again. They would not repent. But then what is the ultimate result? Psalm 83, verse 18, and the desire of God, that they may know you. <laughs> God wants people in Gaza. He wants people in any nation. To know him, that they may know that you, whose name alone is Yahweh, the true judge, are the most high over all the earth. Don't just get high. Get most high. Don't do your little self-medication. Take his medication. Realize that seeking his face is the best thing for your face. Speaking his face and his grace is the only hope. 
Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God also highly exalted him. He's the top Jew. And he brings salvation to you. Give him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, those in Jerusalem, those in Gaza, those in Weimar, everywhere. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. How many think this psalm is just a powerful psalm? <laughs> yeah? When you're surrounded by the enemies from without and you're surrounded by enemies from within, remember what God has done in the past. And remember how he acted. Remember what he wants to do in the present and what he will do if you but allow him to. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.